Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Dr. Ayomawa Shields is the author of Life on Other Planets, a memoir of finding my place in the universe. She is an astronomer and astrobiologist, the Claire Booth Luce Associate Professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at the University of California, Irvine, and a classically trained actor. At UC Irvine, Dr. Shields leads a team of researchers and educators at the Shields Center for Exoplanet Climate and Interdisciplinary Education, S-C-E-C-I-E. Her research focuses on exploring the possible climates and potential habitability of planets orbiting stars other than the sun, called extrasolar planets. She employs a hierarchy of computer models to carry out her research, including those traditionally used to predict climate and weather patterns on the Earth. Her papers have been published in a range of peer-reviewed journals, including the Astrophysical Journal, Astrobiology, and Astrophysical Journal Letters. Dr. Shields received her PhD in Astronomy and Astrobiology from the University of Washington in 2014. She also has an MFA in acting from UCLA in 2001 and an SCB in Earth Atmospheric and Planetary Sciences from MIT in 1997. She held an NSF Astronomy and Astrophysics Postdoctoral Fellowship 
and an, a UC President's Postdoctoral Fellowship at UCLA and at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics prior to joining the UCI faculty in 2017. She was awarded the prestigious NSF Career Award, and her research is also supported by the NASA Habitable Worlds and Exoplanets Research Program. As a 2015 TED Fellow, Dr. Shields uses her theater background to communicate science to the public in engaging innovative ways. Her TED Talk, How We'll Find Life on Other Planets, has garnered over 1.8 million views. Dr. Shields also wrote and narrated the popular TED-Ed Talk, Should We Be Looking for Life Elsewhere in the Universe, for young audiences. Dr. Shields is the founder and director of the educational program Rising Star Girls, which encourages middle school girls of all colors and backgrounds to explore and discover the universe using theater, writing, and visual art, and trains educators around the world to conduct creative arts-based astronomy workshops in their communities. Dr. Shields' unconventional career path has been featured in the books Changing the Equation, 50-plus U.S. Black Women in STEM by Tanya Bolden, and The Portfolio Life by Christina Wallace. She has appeared in numerous media outlets, including PBS's Nova, Glamour Magazine, Teen Vogue, The Discovery Channel, and The History Channel. In Life and Other Planets, Shields shares her personal and professional path as an astronomer, classically trained actor, mother, and black woman in STEM, searching for life in the universe while building a meaningful life here on Earth. She is the proud mother of five-and-a-half-year-old rising star girl Garland Rose, who she and her husband Stephen have deemed the most extraordinary life form in their universe. Welcome, Omoa. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Life on Other Planets, a memoir of finding my place in the universe. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, yay. Um, Well, I loved learning all about your life and everything from education to random viruses to kids. I mean, it's amazing. I feel like I've gotten the whole spectrum here. So tell listeners a little bit about what your book is about and why you decided to write a memoir at all. Yes. Well, and I have to say that like, I've, I've been a fan of your, the the title of your podcast <laughs> sometime, because that's exactly how I feel uh, as a mom that I don't have time to read books. And uh, which is of course, ironic since I wrote one, I wrote this book because I've known for a while that my path was unique in that I had this love of astronomy and also loved acting, these two loves. And whenever I would talk to people about it, I I frequently got a look of surprise, look of this quizzical look, like, how do you, how did that happen? How do you figure that out? But it's only more recently that I've become aware of how not as much of a rare magical unicorn <laughs> I am as I once thought I was, you know, like I've been reached, people have reached out to me since the TED talk I gave in 2015 and have told me that they relate, that they have these, in some cases, it's more than two loves, these things that they've been thinking about how to combine and they haven't known how to. And so what that told me of several years ago is that sharing my story could be beneficial to others, you know, and and helping other people feel less alone compared to how I felt. So talk about how you discovered your love for both both things and the sort of like, you know, fee pattern here. Yeah, yeah. So I, when I was 12 years old, I was in seventh grade and we had these little teams that were like team A, team B, team C, and groups of seventh graders. And we were shown movies and our team, team A, was shown the movie Space Camp, all together. And that movie, like, it rocked my world. <laughs> you know? And I like, it's funny, because that movie, it's not like it's critically acclaimed or anything. I loved that know? movie. I loved that movie. Everybody around our age saw that movie. I don't know, it needs a comeback, basically. It's, funny, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, like, we get kids got to get to actually go to space at space camp. And 
up until that point, I had some some moments where I felt like in awe of what I saw when I looked up, you know, like I write about how I was that kid that would look up and I was often like bumping into things, you know, on the street because I was looking up. And like as it, my my grandmother worked at Miramar Air Force Base, which is what it was called back then. I think it's now called like Naval Station Miramar, but it was the place where Top Gun, the original Top Gun movie was filmed. And I remember seeing that movie and like that point when Kelly McGillis like whips her head around and her hair is like shining in the sunlight. <laughs> and she's like these like sheer black pantyhose and she's just like a badass. And I was like, you know, hell yeah, astrophysics. Like, that's what I want. So there was those moments. There, there were easier ways to get black pantyhose, but I'm just, you know, you did not have to go and get a PhD and all that. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> oh, but like, but when I saw the movie Space Camp, it like it all came together. You know, like the Blue Angel shows that our family would go to see at Miramar, that that this aerial flight team that did these like death-defying acts in the, in the sky and the Top Gun movie, like it all was like synthesized in this, in this space camp movie. And I, in my mind, my little brain was like, that's it. That's what I want to be. And so I ran home to my world book encyclopedia set and pulled out a, and looked up astronomer and astronaut and, and like, I'm a planner. And so I, even back then I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to MIT, like that's the best science school I knew at the time. And I'm going to major in astronomy. I'm going to apply to NASA. And that like that set my trajectory for quite some time. But what I realized I hadn't accounted for was like, you, you can make all the plans in the world and then life happens and things come into our view that can divert us from those or those best laid plans. And that's what happened for me. Like I was at a, a prestigious uh, prep school called Phillips Exeter and, and I was roped into going to an audition with some of my girlfriends for this play called Steel Magnolias, which I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone like wanted to a role in that play, you know, and and I really didn't care that much about it. And of course, that's why I think I got cast. You know, I wasn't like, I hadn't put much weight in how the audition would go. I was just like, I'm here with some friends. I'm taking a break from homework. And then I got this role. I got the role of Truby, Dolly's Parton's character, like naturally, right? Typecast, <laughs> be sure. But that changed, I mean, that changed the course of my life. Suddenly I had this other thing that I really loved to do. And I acted in play after play. And became like the acting girl on campus and the astronomy girl. Like I got to, I was a proctor at the observatory, which meant I had my own key and I could take friends out and show them stuff in the sky and, and boyfriends too. Like that was fun. And, you know, and, and so it, at Exeter, there wasn't this, there didn't seem to be a conflict with loving these two seemingly disparate things. And then, you know, you get to the point where it's time to choose a school and it's like, what do you want to study? And what, and, it, and it became clear that I needed to choose, or at least that's how it seemed to me. And so I stuck with what I, what I had known for the longest time. And, but the things that kept coming up, you know, like one dream, I would spend time doing that. And then the acting would like knock on my door and was like, Hey, you're forgetting about me. So, so I did, you know, I, I finished MIT. I started a PhD program in astrophysics. I did one year but I couldn't concentrate. I mean, in a nutshell, I was like, while my, my classmates were doing problem sets, I was thinking about which, you know, which movies were going to get nominated for best picture that year, you know? And I think in many ways it was an escape because I wasn't really focused, 
when I wasn't doing well, it was like, but I, but I can do this, but I, but this is where I can put my mental energy. Like, this is something that all of you, it's outside of that, the, this world, I have this. And so I, I sought it as that, like, kind of pure untouched place I could go in my, in my mind where no one could touch me. No one could tell me that I wasn't good enough. And so, you know, I had an old white male professor in that PhD program tell me to consider other career options. And I thought that was like the final gavel of like, you don't belong. And so I did apply to acting schools. I had dabbled in this at, at MIT, applying to some acting schools. But this time around, I really went for it full force. And I did get in and decided to leave and did acting and got an MFA at doing that, you know. But it's like that thing of one without the other never felt fully like me. Mm-hmm. So again, like it kept shifting and and I found my way back to, I did some awesome things as an actor. I mean, I got to act in films and even one that went to Sundance and it was, that was spectacular, you know, and, and I had a lot of like false starts, like doing a science TV show and thinking like, this is it. Like uh, this is what my life has been, you know, heading towards the science, the acting, it's coming together. And then like, they recast the hosts, you know? So it was like, oh God, it's not like, what am I supposed to do? You know, but all along there were these moments where I got help from outside. And like, that was the thing that I hadn't availed myself of the first time around in the first PhD program. It's like, as I struggled, I got smaller, Mm -hmm. I isolated. And what I learned was it's all about community and this is what I have to remember too, even now, because I think my tendency is to like be in my own world, whether it's my own world as a parent and a wife and, you know, and like, this is our family and like, who needs other things outside? It's like, I still need friends and mentors and supporters. And I think many people feel that way, you know, but yeah, that's, I ended up the second time around, like seeing, even though I was acting realizing that, oh, I missed astronomy, you know, and I didn't want to be on the outside of it, learning about these amazing discoveries on the news. I wanted to be involved in that. And, and during this, at this point, it was like 10 years and eventually it became 11 between that first PhD program. And when I became willing to apply again and go back and start over and this world of extrasolar planets had just exploded since I'd been away. And this field was, you know, really prominent. And that's what I really was became interested in and wanted to do. Basically, you're wildly talented at two completely different things. And for everyone else who's like trying to find their thing, the answer is you could actually have two things. You could be like you. <laughs> or three or even four. Or Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think the main message from the book is that it's not either, or it can be both and, or yes. And, and that if there are no role models for what we know we want to do, we can be our own role models, you know? And that's what I, I wish I'd known earlier, but I'm glad I eventually learned, you know, that it's like, just because I haven't seen it done, doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. Or maybe your whole thing is that you have to be in close proximity to stars. And that can be Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood, the sky. There you go. You know, an earlier version title of the of the book, I thought it could be like different stars or mm-hmm. something. Like that. Yeah. And I think like I eventually there's a chapter in there called Exploding Stars. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think this was this was the way to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't actually want the Hollywood stars exploding. So, you know, that That's would true. not be a good yeah. <laughs> 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, grownups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery. Perfect for the whole family. Join the cat in the hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. I know you talked about some of your roles, but do you want to share, you know, a particularly exciting acting moment? You don't have to. Yes. I, I mean, I, there, there are two come to mind. Of course, the one that, that got me my SAG card, which is that thing that every actor, like that's gives you your street cred. It's you're in the union. And it means besides the fact that you can earn more money, you know, your day rate is higher. It's that it's like a badge of, like I am in the big leagues. Uh, mm-hmm. Once you're a member of the Screen Actors Guild, at least it was at the time, and now it's combined with AFTRA. So now it's, I guess, your SAG AFTRA card or something. But when I first got my SAG card, the way I got it was getting this role in a film called Nine Lives, which was directed by Rodrigo Garcia, Gar- Gabriel Garcia Marquez's son, and and I was working at the Skirball Cultural Center. This was one of my day jobs. He was on my podcast. He wrote a book, didn't he? Write a yes. Book? Yes, yeah. about his parents, right? Yeah, I read that about his, but yeah, about his parents. I can't remember now what it was called, but I interviewed him and it was fascinating. Okay, anyway, sorry, go on. How do you have time to read books? Because you have like four kids, right? Or five? I have four kids. I do. Four. I have four kids. That, that's not even why I don't have time. <laughs> right, and a publishing company and a store. <laughs> I don't know. I skim. I can skim. I can't like sit around and read a book for like eight hours anymore, but I, I can skim and some I read slowly, but most I don't read slowly, unfortunately. So that, that might be the way to go because at least you're getting most of yeah. a lot of different people's writings, you yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, it's nice that they all get sent to me. I mean, if I was buying all these books, it would be an issue. <laughs> but right. yes, 
it, it's working <laughs> out well. I mean, it works. I love my job. I love what I do. It's like the most fun. And I don't know. Yeah. So Rodrigo, oh, yes. keep going. Rodrigo, Sorry. Yes. yes. So I was Mulholland Drive is, you know, is this like very snaky road through the Hollywood Hills of LA. And I was driving home and from the scribble job that day. And I, and I got this call. I, I had done an audition like this, the producer, Julie Lynn had, was married to a, a history professor who taught at Exeter. So I had, when I went to like an alumni function, I was like, by the way, I'm an actor. I love, and like, that's how I got the audition, but I never in a million years thought it would pan out. And I got the, this call from Julie and she was like, want to be in nine lives. And I was just it's a miracle that I didn't like drive off the the street or the road onto into like the the basin of LA. But and then I said, well, I'm not in SAG. And she was like, in Taft Hartley, you, which means that you don't have to jump through the hoops that you normally do to get your SAG card or like be on a bunch of as an extra on a bunch of sets. You just get it. Uh, the the movie uh, producers decide that you have something that they can't get within the union. I guess the population and that they need to bring you into it. And so that will always be a, um, a moment in my heart of like, ah, uh, arriving in many ways. And then the experience of filming it was fun because that, that film in particular has a unique quality in that it's shot with a steady cam. Mm. And what that means is that there's no internal cuts to a scene. So it's called nine lives. It focuses on nine different women and about 15 minutes in, in their lives. And these women are like played by Sissy Spacek, Amy Brenneman, Glenn Close, Dakota Fanning, you know, and Robin Wright, Robin Wright. And I was a prison guard with Miguel Sandoval, who is, was, I, I knew from Clear and Present Danger, which I was totally into the Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan type films back then and like seeing him. And now, of course, he went on to be in Medium and stuff. And like, but we were both the prison guards wrangling Elpidia Carrillo, who was the woman whose life was featured and she was in prison and like her daughter was on the other side of the glass and she was trying to have a conversation with her daughter and the freaking phone wouldn't work, you know? <laughs> and it's like this moment that I now, now finally, now as a mother, I can just, I can have an inkling of like understanding of how frustrating and like despairing that moment would be. And the, the whole circumstances of why she was in prison were, you know, very, very sad and traumatic as it was. But like she couldn't have a phone call with her like eight year old daughter and we're, and she just freaks out and we're trying to wrangle her and, you know, and she just loses it naturally. And so that moment and shooting that and how there we, we did maybe like three or four takes and we did and it was done. And, and the, but the, the, the camera follows the whole action. There's no cuts. And I had 14 lines and they all stayed in the wow. film, which is a big deal. <laughs> that is a big deal. And the other role that sticks out to me is, is it was just classical theater. I was in a, a play called The Trojan Women by Euripides. Mm -hmm. And I played Andromache. And there's a scene where I have to say goodbye to my son, who's going to be flung off a cliff because that's what happens in Greek tragedy. And again, I had I wasn't a parent at this point, so I had to you know, use all my training and try to imagine and put me as if I were that person. And um, my method acting teacher came to the performance and, and I, I mean, she told me after she was like, you were, you went there. You <laughs> Salome Jens is, and she's an formidable person. And, you know, she was like, you were there, you went there. And that was this moment. And I felt like she was right. Like I knew I had, I had 
I had completely committed to that moment of what that would be like and, you know, and everything. And so, yeah, those were powerful. Amazing. You talked later in the book that you completely believed that you were immortal (laughs) until you started getting sick. Tell me about that. And did you, did you actually, I mean, obviously you didn't really believe that, but I know that what you mean by that feeling. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. I think I still had that twenties, you know, in my twenties and maybe other people relate to this. It's like, I felt like I was invincible, you Mm -hmm. know, like I'm never going to die. And I had always been healthy and I had known people who had had health issues and that was never me. And I, this was the year of going up for tenure at my institution and it was incredibly stressful. I had thought that it was, I had been told, oh, this is a slam dunk. And it very much wasn't. And And that fall, I went in for some tests. I think it was just routine labs. And oh, I had had some weird couple of days where I felt flu-like symptoms. And then it went away. And I went in for some routine blood work and my liver enzyme scores were like off the charts. And they were like, what's going on? And they had more blood work. And at one point, I think I had their 15 vials of blood they had to take on one particular occasion. (laughs) And it turns out I had a hyperthyroid condition called Graves' disease and had to start taking medication. And, and the weird thing was that the liver enzymes, like I, that thing I had that flu, like it was just some, almost like a monotype virus called CMV cytomegalovirus. And it's just this random thing that people can get. And then it, and so the liver enzymes calmed down, but the one thing that didn't after all this blood work, and I write about how, like the great thing about this vigilance that the medical system has is that yes, they will catch things and they were, they're going to catch something, you know, like, it's great that nothing's going to fall through the cracks, but like, they're going to find something. And that, but that moment, thankfully, you know, I've, I've been treated for that. And that seems to be not an issue anymore, but I think what that told me, I'm glad you asked this because I'm, I'm in a phase now where I'm recognizing how much, how, how internal the pressure is to do and to work and to produce. And I just finished reading the book, Trisha, uh, Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey. And she talks about this grind culture that is like a legacy in our in our country. And it and it dates back to slavery and right white supremacy and capitalism. And it's like all of the structures that are in place in this country to to encourage people to believe that if they're not doing, then they don't have value. And what that's told me now post tenure is that slowing down is is like what i have to remember more because that allows me to be my best healthiest self you know that that's that whole idea you can't take it with you when it comes to money is also very present when it comes to work it's like all that work that i do and whatever i'm producing i can't i can't take that with me you know and it's like all that i what's what's most important for me is is my relationship with myself and others, you know, and like the quality of life. So yeah, I'm a little bit more aware now of, of the fact that I'm not immortal. And I think the gift in that is, is like, how do I want to live each day? That, that sense of presence and letting my body be my guide rather than the to-do list. You know, I can hear this like a million times, you know, but it takes often something to happen to get you to actually slow down. We can know that it's important, but it's hard to just do it, isn't it? I feel like. Really true. <laughs> true. In terms of the writing of your book, what was the experience of sort of going through your entire life like? And what advice do you have for aspiring authors? It was very healing and I think affirming too. At one point, there were those moments where I was like, 
gosh, there was so much random stuff that happened to me. Like, is anyone going to want to read this? <laughs> and of course, what is the most important to include? Because I, there are a lot of stuff I could have said. And it's like, thank, thank goodness for editors. <laughs> that that. <laughs> like, I think what, what it, the affirming part was, yes, this is important. Yes, this story needs to be told. And, and I feel like if I can be of service to someone out there who has a non-traditional background or a non-traditional story, and that person reads the book and feels comforted and inspired, then like that's then the job, my job is done. The book's job is done. The I've been writing, Natalie Goldberg is my writing teacher. And so she taught me how to to how to write and how to keep the hand moving, even when the mind was saying, oh, that's dumb. Oh, that's stupid. No one's going to want to read that, like to keep the pen moving through all of that. And I think that helped stand me in good stead when I was rereading, when I was deciding, because that that inner critic, that inner editor, whatever you call it, the monkey mind, it's always going to be there. The imposter syndrome that I write about a lot in the book, it's always there. But like the knob, gets turned down, the volume knob gets turned down, the more and more I I go. And as she says, continue under all circumstances, you know, like when I was at a retreat of hers and I was freaked out about failing my qualifying exam as I write, you know, I, and I told her about it and she basically said two sentences on a paper. I'm not sure if I can swear on the podcast. <laughs> no. Sure, okay. Go so for it. Go for it. <laughs> she wrote, you're on the horse now fucking ride it, you know? And it's like, all that stuff in our head, in my head, that I was just, I was hearing someone recently say, they call it the shitty committee. Now I've sworn twice. <laughs> the head, you know, it's like my head will tell me it'll justify anything. I, I write it like my own mind was my biggest racist back in those days, you know, telling me like, you shouldn't do that. There are no black women who care about their looks and are astronomers. You know, that same mind can tell me you're not a good writer. You Why write this stuff? Or you, you know, Astro- you still think you can be an astronomer right now? Like, but it's that mind is always going to go. But what I do with those thoughts mm-hmm. is different now. You know, I can recognize those thoughts as those old tapes that will play when I'm trying to meditate and and feeling um, you know freaked out by the silence. Then I'll like revert to old tapes because then that's something that I can listen to. And instead, I can tell myself, okay, old tapes, go back to breathing or. Some, some other way I can take care of myself. So I think the process of writing the book allowed me to accept myself on, on an even greater level. And I encourage people who are thinking about their stories and questioning whether they have a story to tell. Usually if the people that are asking that question always have a story to tell. <laughs> <laughs> so like, just tell it just one sentence after another as like Hemingway said, right? One word after another and eventually those sentences add up to something that can really inspire others and and maybe even the whole world. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your whole world and many other worlds perhaps with uh with our <laughs> listeners here. Thank you so much. I'm glad that it's it's a good reminder that our place in the universe does not have to be one specific place. That it can be an all-encompassing thing and that that's important. That's important too. So <laughs> thanks so much to be. Thank you. Thanks for coming on and take care. You too. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. 
Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.